This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. <laughs> Here we go again. I know you guys like sitting around the tailgate telling stories with good buddies, cracking cold ones. No matter if it's hunting season or fishing season, well, so does the Outdoor Drive Podcast. So we're going to bring you Tales from the Tailgate. All right, East Coast Trev back at it again with my good buddy, Madman Mardik. What's up, bud? What up, brother? Hey, man. Appreciate you jumping on. And we have Ted Hubble from all the way out west. What's up, man? How are you? Good. How you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. Did I even say your last name right? Did I say it right? Probably not. It's, it's Hubley. Hubley. Oh, okay. <laughs> Told you. I'm, I, so I'm known as, as the worst guy to pronounce your name. Probably shouldn't use me. It's, so we I failed at that. In every I, the English language is probably not my first language. I probably know like Arabic or something. It's probably best because I can't pronounce a name to save my life. So, Ted, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about what you do. Um, my name is Ted Hubley. I'm from Thermopolis, Wyoming. Um, I'm 39. Uh, born and raised right here in Wyoming, and uh, love the outdoors. Yes, yeah. pretty much what we do all year long. So. That's awesome. What is your normal day job? Um, I'm a CNC machinist. Okay. I uh, specialize in like downhill or downhole oil field tooling and a uh, little little bit of we, we dabble in a little bit of the gun trade, uh, making gun parts and stuff. You must love that. That that's right up your alley, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a lot of fun. So yeah. So so you had the opportunity to shoot uh, a bighorn sheep out there. Mm-hmm. Has it was that your first hunt in 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 doing so or no? Yeah, yeah. So to draw a bighorn sheep tag in Wyoming is extremely difficult for a resident. Uh, it takes so we have a, a preference point system for specialty game like moose, uh, bighorn sheep, a mountain goat, and bison. And so you have to uh, collect so many bonus points to be even be able to draw a tag like that. But they do give 
10%. So like the unit that I drew, they gave out 20 tags and four of those went to non-resident and two of those went to what they call a random draw. So that can be anybody. So it takes 24 points to, to draw a sheep tag more or less. So you got to put it in for it for 24 years and it takes 20, 24 points to draw, but they give out 10% of those tags are random draw. Now random draw can be somebody with no points or somebody with max points that didn't draw. They just pull two random numbers out. And that's what I did. I only had four points in the hat and I drew, drew it. And it was a, I did the math on it. It was 0.07% drawing on wow. to get a, to get a random tag. And I was one of two people to draw it. And funny thing is a guy down the highway here, maybe three miles down the road, he drew the other random tag for area two. Oh, wow. shake them up. Shake them up. <laughs> yeah, crazy. So, so yeah, we both got extremely lucky. Wow. That's a cool hunt too. I mean, obviously there's a lot that goes into that. That's not just going out and shooting a mule deer on the flats or a big white tail that's that's a whole different ball game of a hunt right yeah like i wasn't even really prepared to, to draw this tag like i i figured i wasn't going to draw it until i was 60 and i should have been putting in for it years ago but i just i just like oh, i need to start putting in i don't know what i've been doing and so i've been putting in and and so i drew it and then it kind of all hit me at once like this i'm not i'm not i only put in for that area because i've seen sheep from the highway in the past driving through so I was just like, well, I'll just throw my points on area two. And if I get lucky and draw that random tag, then then I'll kind of have an idea where to start. But then once I actually drew it, I was just like, I, I really don't have any idea where to start. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of a big shocker. But uh, but yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty cool to draw it on the random tag. Now, can you is that a self guided hunt that you could do on your own, or is it something that you have to hire a guide to do, or is it better to hire no. a guide? You can absolutely do it on your own. So, like I said, I put in for area two only because of I've, I've driven, you know, it's right on the edge of Yellowstone. Area two borders Yellowstone. It's just north of Cody, and it runs all the way up to Yellowstone Park. And as you're going to the park, I've seen sheep, and there's a ski resort right there, and I see sheep in the later in the season when they're breeding and they winter. They winter down there, and so I've, I've seen sheep there, so that's why I applied for it. And – uh but area two is extremely rugged. It's it's straight up, straight down, vertical. There's not a whole lot of timber. The the Yellowstone fire from the 80s burned all the timber, most of the timber out of that unit. And uh, it's riddled with grizzly bears. There's grizzly bears everywhere. And so going into it after I drew it, um, really sitting down and thinking about it as like, for one, it's it's so steep and nasty country and it's full of bears. And, and this year, uh, the Game and Fish made it where these specialty tags are now, as of this year, they're once in a lifetime. So once you draw it, oh. you can never apply for it again. And so with it being a once in a lifetime and the, the ruggedness and everything, I, I opted to hire a guide. Wow. So, so, so that's so, so you, you thought you were going to draw it at 60. You did it at a younger age. Is it better to do – are you glad that you did it now and got it up and out of the way than having oh, to do it down the road? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's – like I said, it's it's a steep, rugged hunt. Um, there are some units that aren't nearly as bad as mm -hmm. far as terrain goes, but Area 2 – Area 1 and 2 are renowned for being just steep, rugged, nasty country. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, can, can you still put in for those other species specialty tags or you just get your yes. one? Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, I, I can't. I can. I can. Hunt, I can put in for a U, but I can never put in for a Ram. Okay, that's uh, what I in, thought. In, yep. in the state of Wyoming again. Wow. So, well, I'm yeah, and that just changed this year. They used to have a five-year waiting pool, so if you drew it, you had to wait five years, and then you could start applying again. Um, but everybody that was inside that pool and everybody that drew this year are are out, and you can't you can't hunt no more. Jeez. So. Well, I'm intrigued, man. Take us through the story and how it all all went down from start to finish, man. Because I I'm I want to hear about this. Okay. Um. So, like I said, uh, I got I have five kids at home, and we all put in for for sheep and moose, and uh, put my wife in for moose. We had six of us in for moose, five in for sheep. The moose tag, we don't have very many points between all of us. The moose tag is a higher chance of getting a random tag. So I was just opened up our emails and was checking everybody's emails after the draw results came out. It kind of not even the sheep wasn't even on my mind. So I knew there's no way we're drawing a sheep tag, but I was really checking to see if anybody got lucky and drew that moose tag and everybody didn't get anything. And I opened up mine and it said successful. So at first I thought I drew a moose tag. So I was super happy. And then I really started reading the fine print. I'm like, Holy crap. I drew the, I drew the sheep tag, not the moose tag. And so from there, I called my dad and kind of went over the went over the whole scenario because my dad used to guide hunters in the '80s up there in that same country. And so uh, talking with him and uh, uh, kind of spread the word around and and but then after three or four days of really thinking about it, I had and the game and fish uh, gives your information out to all these outfitters and taxidermists. So I was getting calls from outfitters and taxidermists and this and that and. Um, Todd Helms with Eastman's Hunting Journal a magazine that's produced right here uh, close close to us. Um, he reached out to me and said uh, if I was looking for a guide, if I was going to go that direction, that he had some referrals. And uh, so I took his referrals down, and then I talked to a couple other guys, and everybody kept pointing to the same guy. His name's uh, Josh Martolio. He's out of Cody, Wyoming, so he lives right there in Area Two, and. Uh, everybody's just like, he's the best of the best. And so I reached out to Josh and five minutes on the phone with him. I knew he was the guy to go with, uh, got on his, his website and he's killed probably 250 Rams in the last 10 years. And, uh, his last five years, he's running like 99% kill rates. And I looked through every picture that he's ever put on his website and every one of those Rams were studs. And I was just like, that's, that's the guy I'm going with. So I went ahead and booked the hunt through Josh. Um, so the season's long. It runs from September 1st to the end of October. And Josh had, he had three people booked up for area two already. And he hunts all the units. Like he had, he had 20 hunters this year. And, uh, it spread out through all the different units and whatnot. And, uh, he had three hunters booked in area two. One of them was an early hunt. The other one, uh, he said, was the last seven days. And he said, as far as me, we can float it in whenever I wanted to. But he highly suggested we waited till mid-October because if, if we get a little bit of weather in, a lot of the sheep would move out of the park and come start moving down into the winter range. And it could double the population of, of sheep just in a matter of a couple of days if we got a heavy snow. So we, we booked it up for October 10th and, uh, so it was, it was pretty hard sitting around the house all through September knowing I could be up there hunting, but I talked to a couple of buddies. What one guy knows Josh and I was like, man, what would you do? So would you go, 
would you go up there and try to hunt on your own or would you wait wait and go with josh because i'd hate to go up there and you know and, and misjudge a ram and shoot something that i would regret and he said if you're going with josh i would 100 percent wait he said he said he'd uh he'd put you on a big one and uh so I sat back and waited and watched everybody's hunting pictures roll in all through September, which was extremely hard. But, but, uh, the morning of the 10th met up with Josh and, uh, right off the bat, I had a big duffel bag. So he sent me a, a checklist of stuff to bring. So I had a huge duffel bag full of, I mean, rain gear and snow gear and boots and all this stuff. Cause we're supposed to pack in and set up a big camp and hunt for 10 days out of this camp. But he, uh, he he told me he's like we had an elk hunter in this this drainage is called the uh, Grizzly Creek. And then he said he had an elk hunter in Grizzly Creek three or four days prior to this, and the guide that was with the elk hunter spotted a really big ram. And he said uh, we're going to go in after this ram specifically for two days, and if we don't find him, we're going to back out and double around and come in from the backside of the mountain and we'll set up a camp and we'll hunt the rest of the rest of the week out on the backside of the mountain. And, uh, he said, what you're wearing right now, because I had, I had my day's gear on. He's like, you're going to take that, your pack, your spotting scope, your sleeping bag, and, and maybe a hoodie. And that's it. So we're just going to sleep under the stars for, for a couple of nights. He said, this, this stuff is so steep and so nasty. We can't even set up a tent. There's not a flat spot on the whole mountain. And so the first, the first day we got up there, we rode in and he was right. It's just, I mean, all those drainages are straight up, straight down. It's all burned timber that's knocked down. There's down timber. We're cutting logs and the horses are jumping over down trees. And, and it was probably a good six, seven mile ride in on horses and mules. And then um, we finally get back to this huge basin in the back and we're, we're glassing from the ridge that we're sitting on probably a mile and a half in front of us is this huge rock bluff that runs for i don't know it's it's it shoots up from probably nine thousand feet to well over ten thousand feet and it runs uh probably four or five miles wide and we sat there and we're glassing right he said just just focus on the right on the timber line right at that ten thousand foot mark that's where all them sheep are hanging just on the edge of the timber and we sat there for seven or eight hours glassing that that basin back and forth with our spot and scopes and then that first day we picked up uh 16 rams 16 rams that first day but none of them were big enough to go after and make a plan on um towards the end of the day josh took off and went one way and we had two other guides with us kelly and eduardo and eduardo went to the right and went and looked into grizzly creek we were one drainage over from grizzly creek and so Eduardo went and looked at Grizzly Creek and he, he radioed over and said that he had glassed up another half a dozen rams or so, but it's right at dark and we didn't get a look at them. So we rode to the bottom. We had to ride probably two and a half, three miles down the mountain before we found a place big enough to set up, set up four cots on the creek so the horses could water and uh, just cook dinner over a fire, just slept right on the ground and, uh, got up the next morning and we went up to where Eduardo was the day before. <clears throat> and, uh, by the time we got up that ridge, the mule I was on was slower than molasses. And so I fell way behind. And so by the time we got way up on top of the ridge, looking into Grizzly Creek, um, Oh, it was probably about nine, nine o'clock, nine thirty in the morning. And the fog had started setting in. There was no weather in the forecast, so I didn't even really bring my rain my rain gear with me. 
and the, the fog set in and then after the fog it was just snowing like crazy and then the sun would pop out and so we start glassing and the sheep were popping up right and left all over the place and then but again we found the group that eduardo had seen there was one really nice ram in there but he was probably only six or seven years old and uh josh opted to pass him he said he's pretty but he's just he's just too young and so we kept looking and the, the fog came in and the snow came in and then the sun would come out and that repeated about every 30 minutes for oh i don't know good two or three hours about every 30 minutes the weather would change and so the last time it it started snowing it, it actually held for about 45 minutes it just snowed on us like crazy so we started a fire and we just kind of sat around up there we were about 9500 feet and so we got on the back side of this rock wall with a fire going and just sat around and bs for a while and, and then the the sun came up and then that time when the sun came up josh said we're going to look he said about that time it was about 10 30 11 o'clock he said we're going to look for another 30 minutes and then we're pulling the plug he thought that ram had probably went up and over that big rock basin and was on the back side of the mountain and so we were going to pull the plug in about 30 minutes and we we're going to ride back down and spend the day driving around the backside of the mountain and, and heading up so we all split up and started glassing so this is the morning of day two so we're glassing uh, again we're looking a mile a mile and a half up into that rock basin and every time the sun would come up we'd glass up more sheep and they just kept popping up and popping up and popping up but again nothing nothing big lots of real young rams we did find one big band of uh ewes and lambs um and then uh trying to think we were, we were literally about to start kicking the fire out and and call it quits and josh had went up and over this rock cropping to my left to to get on the radio with eduardo he was down another drainage or so from us looking in a different drainage he was on the radio with him telling him to come back and uh when he was coming back over that rock pile, he was all crunched down, all all low to the ground, and he was belly crawling over that rock pile. So right then, I was like, okay, he sees something close to us because he's acting, he's being all sneaky, and he got over to us, and he's like, man, we're looking, like I said, a mile and a half up this drainage, up probably looking another 1,000-foot in elevation, and he's like right below us, and we look literally right below us, a 1,000 yards below us in the bottom of the Grizzly Creek, there's five rams bedded in the wide open. And once you got the spotting scope on them, they're all just laying there looking at us. So they've been there all morning watching us, but we were looking so far out. We never even thought about looking right below us along the creek. And so once we got the spotting scope set up on them, right off the bat, the one in the middle of the group um, was the long ram that we were after. And so he's like, that's the guy right there. But he's like, man, that other one that's with him, is big and heavy and dark horn and broomed off. There's another one that's real heavy, but he's about a half curl younger and then two smaller rams. And so, but the problem was they've been watching us for hours. And so he's like, we got to make a move on them, but I don't want to just drop off this face because they're watching us. So we put the fire out, moved the horses on the backside of the ridge. And then uh, me and Josh actually took off and went up the ridge up the ridge probably a good half a mile and no matter how far up we went we could still see them and we were still in sight so we just eventually we got up we're like oh we're a good mile from them so we we dropped off the back side of that ridge and and scurried to the bottom as quick as we could and we opted to stay on our side of the drainage because the grizzly creek is a big steep nasty 
creek bottom. It's all bouldering down trees and waterfalls. And, and he's like, let's stay on our side and we'll side hill it and get across from him and then try to get a shot at him from across the drainage. And we moved, we moved three or four different times and set up and the guys up on the ridge were radioing us telling us that, you know, they're still bedded down or up, they're getting up. And, and we set up a couple different times and it's just, it's too thick being across trying to shoot through all that down timber and stuff. And we just didn't have any windows. And so our last ditch effort was about this. This was about two o'clock and he's like, we got to get this ram shot soon or else we're going to be in here in the dark. And uh, he said, they call it Grizzly Creek for a reason. So we got to get out of here before it gets dark. And uh, so we, uh, we opted to jump down in the creek and just, just run down the creek as fast as we could. He said, he's worried that if we ran past the drainage that they were in, that the thermals would push our scent mm. up the creek and they would smell us. Cause they were only up that drainage, maybe 300 yards. And so we got down there, we got to the drainage that they were in and we just hightailed it across. We went past the next drainage and on the third drainage past them, there was a big ridge that was way taller than the ridge they were on. So we mm. got around the backside of that and came up the backside and as soon as we popped over the top of that ridge, they were right there, like 350 yards bedded in this wide open gray shale. I mean, just perfect. And there was a nice, big, fluffy pine tree between us. So we just walked right up to that pine tree and scooted to the side of it. And there was a down tree that had roots sticking up. And I was able to just scoot right up into those roots and lay my rifle right across the roots. And it was like shooting right off a bench. And, uh, so we, we sat there and they had moved and shuffled around. So we were watching them with the spot and scope for a minute to make sure we got the, the long one and all this. And we get the long, the long ones right in the middle of the pod. There's, there's the long one. There's three of them bedding around him. And the, the big heavy broomed off one is kind of up above them. And he's, he's laying quartering away and the big long one that we're after, he's laying right in the middle, but the way he was laying, I couldn't shoot him right there. So we'd have to wait for him to stand or, call to him or something or, or move, move positions. And uh, about that time, Eduardo's up on the ridge a half a mile above us and he radios down to us. And he said, he's pretty sure that long one, his left horn is freshly broken off. And uh, cause they, they, they broom them off and stuff. And uh, he's like, I'm pretty sure his left horn broomed. And so we kept looking at him and eventually he did turn his head and we could see that his left horn was freshly broomed off. And at that point, it's like, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to shoot one that's got a fresh break on one side. And, and honestly, that one that was laying at the top of the group, the big, heavy, dark horn one, I told Josh, it's like, that one is everything I'm looking for. I said, I wanted an old, heavy, broomed off ram. Uh, so the long one's pretty and stuff, but with him broke on that one side, I didn't, I didn't want to shoot him. And so... And the, the heavier broomed off one was in a better shooting position and he was quartering pretty hard, but I told Josh, I'm pretty confident I can squeeze one right in there by his hip and squeeze one in there and, and get it done. And uh, so we radioed up to Eduardo and he actually put the phone scope on and from his position way up on the ridge, he was able to video the whole thing. Oh, that makes sense. And yeah, so got it, got it all settled in and it was all good. I was like, yeah, I'm dead solid and all that. And as soon as I flick that safety off, I don't get buck fever, but as soon as that safety <laughs> click, I started shaking a little bit. So I had to draw, I had to rein it back a minute and then uh, get settled in again. And I 
the shot rang off and in the in the in the video it doesn't look like it's that steep but they're on the side of a steep steep embankment and so after the shot went off in the recoil in the scope i can see all five rams jumping off that embankment and i didn't hear any report like a hit or a thud or nothing josh was watching through his 60 power uh spot and scope and i asked him so did i hit him and he's like i didn't see nothing and so the first thing that goes through my head is i just messed this up i just missed he's like i didn't see no dirt i didn't hear a wop nothing but they ran to the bottom of the drainage so we just dropped our packs left everything there just grabbed the rifle and we started skirting up the ridge as fast as we could and eduardo had started watching the started watching the video and radioed down to us and said yeah you hit him right on that last rib you know you 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 sank one in him and that was a huge relief i was like okay i got him and then they radioed back and said, yeah, he just went up and over the ridge into the timber, maybe 50 yards in front of you. I was like, so he went all the way to the bottom and made it all the way to the top. And right as we creased the top into the timber, he was right there in the timber right in front of us. And I was going to shoot him, but then I was like, well, I don't know if that's him. I don't want to shoot more than one. So we had to wait to make sure it was him. And then the other four, a couple seconds later, came out on a big rock bluff above us. And so I was like, okay, that's definitely him. So I had to move positions. He was probably 60 yards away in the timber and he turned and went down into the bottom and was coming up the, the other side of that. And I shot him again, square in the back and it just dumped him. And I was like, all right, good, good. One and done. And then, uh, then he got up and he started moving down the drainage again. So I Come put on. another shell in and put another one in him and he's still moving. But then I was just like, all right, I'm just going to let him sit. And so I was like, I got three shots in him. They all felt good. And then, uh, Josh doubled back and uh, got on the radio and helped help guide those guys down, which I'm still amazed that they were able to get the mules down that nasty drainage, but they got the mules all the way down to the creek bottom <clears throat> off the cliff face. And uh, so that gave me about 20 minutes by myself. So I gave him, gave him a good five minutes and I walked down there real slow and right where I last saw him, he was laying there dead. So it gave me, gave me a good 15 minutes with him and just kind of, look him over and kind of run run over everything in my head so but yeah it was pretty it was pretty incredible pretty pretty awesome it was a it was a supposed to be a 10 to 12 day hunt and and we got got one shot on day two so so when you were sitting there with them and you got you got an extra couple of minutes with them without anybody else there like what, what was going through your mind like this is a once in a lifetime tag you got it done in a couple of days time like so what's going through your head and through your mind um, honestly, I was just, I was, I was in shock because for one, that stock that we did, so we spotted those sheep at about 11 and I shot him at three thirty. So that was a, you know, a good four hour stock. And that's one of the hardest hikes I've ever been on. So <laughs> my legs were dead. I'm dying. My breathing. I had, I'd gotten really bad, uh, almost like strep throat, like three weeks prior to my hunt. So my lungs were on fire and going through the whole thing but yeah just sitting there and just going through everything in my mind and and it was just it was mind-blowing honestly has has it really sunk in that you have a once in a lifetime tag and that you got it and it's it's over now that it's it's getting there it's getting there uh that that the, the horns are at the taxidermist he's actually gonna mount him up, up and take him to reno to the sheep show in january so 
So instead of having to wait a year, he's going to have it mounted here in a couple of weeks and have it go show show ready and ready for Reno. And uh, but yeah, about I don't know five times a day I get on my phone and look at the pictures. That's amazing, yeah. though. That's a cool hunt, and you're obviously were probably freezing because you didn't have all the gear that you wanted. It's snowing. You didn't expect that. It it really wasn't too bad. Like, uh, I don't know. While it was snowing, it was still probably forty degrees. It was windy, you know. Mm-hmm. But I just put on my heavy coat, and with that fire we had going, just any time the snow would sock in, the wind we just hunker up against that rock by the fire, and it wasn't too bad. And then. Once the sun broke out, once the stock started, it probably warmed up to 50 degrees. And, mm-hmm. and so I'd had, I had already shed my heavy coat. And then that, that three-hour sprint down the mountain to try to get set up on them really warmed me up. So, <laughs> but, Especially but yeah, so we got them all packed it. up. So we came down, we got pictures of them and all that. And then the other guys, like I said, they, they got the mules down that ridge. And uh, at one point during the stock, Josh was like, in case this doesn't work, and we don't shoot this ram, he pointed back up to where Eduardo and, and Kelly were. He's like, do you think you can hike up that drainage? And I looked up. I mean, it's it's straight up. It's like a half a mile, and it's straight up. I was like, well, if I shoot this sheep, it would definitely help. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we got them all packed out, and then uh, we opted just to go straight to the truck, just just get out of there. So we uh, were on the trail. Hell, hell, we were probably ended up riding in the dark down that mountain for we ended up switching mules so i wasn't riding the slow mule on the way out because it ended up getting dark on us and uh we rode for probably two hours in the dark and we got back to cody probably about 11 o'clock or so wow and, uh, so yeah the whole the whole thing only lasted about 48 hours but uh it was it was pretty awesome 48 hours it sounds like you got the full experience i think we yeah yeah we uh i think we we ended up counting we glassed up i think 26 bighorn rams in two days and i took them to the you got to take them to the fishing game office within oh i think you got 10 days and they age them and then they drill a hole in the back of your horn which is pretty hard to watch they get a drill bit out and they drill a half inch hole in the back of your horn and they put a plug in it so that plug has the the date so it's a 20 20 20 ram and my my plug number is 089 so uh Mine was the 89th ram killed in Wyoming that year. And they actually put a, they glue it right in the back of the horn. It's kind of on the backside of the curl, so you can't see it. But uh, if you, even if you find a dead sheep, you have to take it in and get it plugged. And so I stopped by the game and fish office and they, they drilled it out and plugged it. And one of the wardens was there and he had just ridden in Grizzly Creek just a couple of days ago. And he said he saw one ram. I was like, well, we saw 26 and 48 hours he was like oh man that's that's either gotten a lot better i missed a bunch but so you think that that snowfall had definitely was there that that weather window that you guys were looking for um i don't think it i don't think where we were at i don't think it affected we had got a heavy snow a couple weeks prior to that but he was hoping if we got heavy snow we would be up hunting right on that yellowstone border but we were still probably 20 miles off of it Uh, okay so he's like, yeah, if it snows heavy, we'll move right up on that borderline and we'll hunt that that high stuff right there and catch him coming over the park. And but uh, we were actually pretty pretty low as far as uh, down the mountain from from Yellowstone, maybe a third of the way up. And so, so. with with it being a, a once in a lifetime tag, it's probably not a cheap experience neither. 
Um, for a resident, for us, uh, the tag was 140 bucks. Oh, so it's it's not it's not super super pricey for a resident. Like I think a non-resident, I don't I don't even know what they jumped it up to, but it's several grand for a non-resident. See, that's what that I'm. Tag, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that this is you know it's a once in a lifetime tag. And you're and you're not ready for it, to go for it, so it's expensive. You know what I'm saying? It's an expensive trip, but being yeah. a resident, it's not all that bad. I mean, considering. It's I mean, not, um, I like I said, I opted to use a guide. Um, that was that was pretty expensive, mm-hmm. but being a once in a lifetime, and like I said, Josh is 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 the best of the best, and 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 he proved it right there. I mean, mm-hmm. two two days in the hunt, and and uh, he just put a post up on online that uh they killed 20 sheep this year they had 20 hunters booked and they killed 20 sheep you went 100 percent success rate and all all of them were studs oh i know you had sent me them and i couldn't believe it. they were some absolutely gorgeous sheep like amazing yeah. yours yours did have yeah, the I mean, best coat though you said <laughs> yeah i mean he's got a hell of a cape on him his cape is just absolutely perfect so if you're gonna do it you might uh, as well yeah, get the it, best it, one what is uh, so, what is something like that generally weigh? I don't know anything about bighorn sheep. Um, so a ram, a ram weighs around three hundred and fifty pounds on the hoof. Okay, a, a big mature ram. So they're bigger than a mule. They're not quite as big as an elk. They're, right. They're about the size of a deer. They're just stocky. They just got a lot of muscle mass to them. When I got done, after I caped off the head and and everything, and I had the skull. The skull alone, I think it weighed twenty four pounds the skull so with the horns and everything on it you know just the just the with the bottom jaw removed and everything it was uh it was 100 or uh, 24 pounds so it's, they got a solid head on that's nuts that's so cool awesome. it's a that's a that's a crazy hunt i couldn't even imagine i especially not us especially coming from out east to have to go up there and be at nine thousand, ten thousand feet like i would lose my mind like breathing you're you're a little bit more used to it living there obviously well, where I live here in Thermop, we're we're about four thousand foot. Okay. So it's I mean, but Cody, where I hunted, it's less than two hour drive. So we're we're going from four thousand foot to nine thousand foot in just in a couple of hours. Um, you know, I did a little, little bit of training, not a whole lot, but I uh, did a little bit of training. We got a big hill here in town that's probably a thousand vertical feet, and it's straight up. And I was running, not running, but I was climbing that hill before work a couple times a week, and you know, doing it doing it pretty good with some ease. And I was like, ah. I got it licked, but then I got sick. But then but I think the hardest part was the elevation going from doing it 4,000 feet. one thing, but you go up to 10,000 mm. feet and you run that same hill and it just, it kicks the crap out of you. Yeah. And it's not like so, you had much. Josh and those guys, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no. It's not like you had much say, time Josh to train for guys, it. Uh, <laughs> no. And then uh, Josh and those guys, they, they just left me in the dust. Every time we'd get off and do any walk and they're just, they're hundred yards ahead of me at all times. And, and uh, but they do it for a living. They're up there from from August till till November, December, running for elk, deer, antelope, sheep, mountain goats. And uh, yeah, those guys are those guys are incredibly in shape. So now that you've punched but, that the sheep tag, like what what else is in store for you? Like what what else do you do at that point? Like you you've hit the the top of it, and where else do you go from there? Yeah, I mean. Uh, Sheep was definitely my number one on the list. Like I, if I had to shoot anything sheep, um, I'm still putting in for moose. Uh, 
Mountain goat is that's probably the hardest tag to draw. I honestly haven't even been putting in for that. I just don't have a burning desire to go shoot a mountain goat. Uh, but moose for sure. Um, possibly even start putting in for buffalo one of these years. Uh, buffalo are a little easier to draw. Um, but it's again, that's a once in a lifetime hunt. But the buffalo buffalo hunting's getting harder and harder every year, and uh, so probably probably moose or I'm going to really start focusing. The nice thing now is I got, we have four kids that are all old enough to hunt now. So they're pretty much filling the freezer. And so I'm going to start putting in, I really want to shoot a big world-class mule deer. So um, I've shot a lot of mule deer. I just never shot one over that 180 mark. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be my main focus now. It's just, just putting in for these really hard mule deer tags and see if I can make something happen. That's awesome. I I think I think you completed it. If, even if you don't do anything else, you've already done you know the apex of all of it in the in the West. To be honest, and it was an amazing animal. It was absolutely amazing, and we'll we'll post up some of the pictures and videos and stuff so guys can actually see what it is. But it's an incredible animal and an incredible hunt, dude. That that was something else. Yeah, it sure was. It sure was. But no, Ted, we we really appreciate you jumping on with us, man, and telling your tale. It was it was absolutely incredible. It, it was absolutely awesome, and and hopefully hopefully you do get something else, and we can get you back on and get that world class muley or whatever it is, and and go from there. Yeah, sounds good. We appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Absolutely, and for everybody else, thanks for taking the ride right here on the outdoor drive.